Hi, I'm Tammy Potter, and welcome to the Pregnancy Process Podcast, a show designed to help you navigate the hugely transformative journey to motherhood, where you'll hear the unique experience of experts in this area and the incredible stories of women sharing their conception, pregnancy, and postnatal journeys so that you can have a healthier, more informed pregnancy. In today's episode, I talk to the Acupuncture Pregnancy Clinic Managing Director, Amy Forth. Amy is a Chinese medicine practitioner, researcher, and educator with a special interest in IVF support, fertility, women's health, and pregnancy care. Her work at the Acupuncture Pregnancy Clinic sees her leading from an integrative approach that offers evidence and research-based IVF, fertility, and pregnancy care. Her personal research projects include a Masters of Global Health that focused on the integrative medical practices of GPs, along with several clinical trials investigating the use of acupuncture for IVF, PCOS, and endometriosis. In this episode, we're going to be exploring some of the history surrounding Chinese medicine for pregnancy and gynecology, how acupuncture helps with each stage of the pregnancy process and its integrative role in women's fertility journeys. Amy, thank you so much for your time today. It's fantastic to have you here with us. Oh, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Now, I firmly believe that all women have a story when it comes to motherhood. And this is irrespective of whether they have children or not, because I really don't believe that women can move through this time in their lives without some type of personal journey or personal story. And if it's okay with you, I think the best place to start is with your own journey around women's health and fertility and talking about how this has influenced your own work in this space. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so for me, it was when I was really young. So I was like 17 and I stopped getting a period. And I I think I got my period for when I was like 13 or 12 or something. So I'd had it for quite a long time. And I just was like, this is weird. Um, why has this happened? It just felt like it happened out of the blue and it'd been about a year. So that's where my journey began. And so from there, I went and I saw my GP who referred me to, back then I was living in Melbourne, to Royal Women's Hospital, where I went to see a gynecologist and they did scans and ultrasounds and blood tests. And at the end of all of that, they just had nothing to offer me. They said, we don't know why. (laughs) We said, they said, oh, like you don't have polycystic ovaries. Outside of that, we don't know why. And I was like, oh, okay. And then my next question was, what what can I do? Is there anything I can do? And they just sort of said, well, you're young, so it doesn't really matter. And you don't want to have kids unless you want to have kids right now. I doubt you want to have kids. You're only 17. And I thought, okay, all right. Yeah, I don't really. Like, of course, I'm 17. I'm not ready for that. But I was like, this is weird. And I just felt really out of balance, I think. And at that time... Now, when I look back, I can completely diagnose that I had hypothalamic amenorrhea, which happens when you're very stressed, when you've lost lots of weight, which I had done both of those things. I was an over-exerciser, I had a bit of an eating disorder, and I was really, really anxious. And I think I just had 
was eating so little calories, all of these things were really contributing to this, like having amenorrhea, hypothalamic amenorrhea. I can't confirm that. I can't look at the blood test, but I'm like, why didn't they even look at the why didn't they investigate that? And there was just there was just lack and this apathy around my my experience. And so at the time, I was a real hippie. <laughs> I loved anything which is a little bit spiritual. I love. I saw a naturopath. I ended up going to see a naturopath at that time, although I couldn't afford much because I was at the end of high school. And I also was actually living out of home at that time in my life as well. So yeah, I was pretty busy, like trying to do high school, support myself and everything like that. So I guess what I'm trying to get at is that I went and had acupuncture and Chinese medicine and it had just this real profound effect on my mental state. Like I felt like my anxiety just dropped and I felt myself come back into my body and I was just completely addicted to how it made me feel, to be honest. And then the biggest thing, I guess, was also like, I think within a week or two, it was really quick. I think I had like two sessions. I had my period and I was just, and I felt like this sense of relief. <laughs> so I was, I mean, I'm not saying, I'm not trying to claim that like anyone who has a hypothermic amenorrhea is going to have two acupuncture sessions and they're going to have a period. I'm not try- trying to claim that at all. But for me, it was very quick. I think there was probably just like a mechanism that was missing I guess that's where my journey with Chinese medicine started. And my experience, I felt a bit angry that I'd sort of been a bit dismissed. And I thought when I started studying Chinese medicine, well, it can help people. Then why can't, there's a gap here. Like, why couldn't they offer me any, why couldn't Western medicine offer me anything, any solution or any ideas or even all like, there was just nothing. So when I started studying Chinese medicine, I was really passionate about women's health. And I kept looking into how much, how little research there had been done in women's health, particularly around things like PCOS, endometriosis. Now there's a whole lot of awareness around that. And I was looking in particularly into like how Chinese medicine treated it. And I was just like blown away with, there was just so much history and there was just textbooks and textbooks about like how we treat irregular cycles or painful periods, which are things like PCOS, endometriosis these days, but the wealth of knowledge and how to treat this and then starting to do that in, to start with in a student clinic and actually seeing it work. I was just like, wow, like this is amazing. And like, this is completely underutilized and getting patients who had had similar situations where they felt like a little bit at a dead end or felt like they just weren't receiving the care that they needed or still having really putting up with ridiculously painful periods or very irregular cycles and just going on the pill so but that only works to a certain point when and if then when if you want to try and have a baby then those painful periods or those irregular cycles they all come back and that's when yeah, and that's often where people come like in their 30s or when they're re- ready to have a baby or, or they just want to sort it out. Sometimes it's just like, I've, I know I, I just haven't been sorting this out and I want to sort it out. So I, I focused on women's health from day dot when I started um, practicing, which is over 15 years ago. And then I moved into just working in dedicated fertility and pregnancy clinics, basically, because basically what you're seeing is around women's health. Not many men seek treatment for fertility issues in the natural health space. And I hope that changes. But anyway, my area was around women's health. That's why I was really passionate reading the research and um, treating people. And then I have went on to work first at the acupuncture pregnancy clinic. And then one thing led to another. I became a manager, then a clinical director, and then a managing director. And that's my nutshell. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. I tell you what, just listening to your story, there's so much that I feel like I have to say about that. Yeah. I mean, 
firstly, the fact that no one actually looked into why this 17-year-old was presenting with mm. amonorrhea, if you know what I mean. Why did no one look into the greater lifestyle factors that yeah. were potentially going on with you? All those things that you listed, why was no one investigating that? Why was it just like, oh, well, there's no reason for it? Because the thing is, is that these things show up mm. later in life. So yeah. issues that you have now, like if you hadn't advocated for yourself you could have just gone on like that and it could have been potentially very harmful for your fertility later down the track if you know what I mean it just blows my mind that no one took that seriously oh well you're 17 you don't want to get pregnant now like I wouldn't worry about it it'll probably sound correct and just in terms of a female cycle is so indicative to their overall health yeah are you saying that you felt that sense of relief when it came back I mean your your cycle really is indicative to your overall health if you're very stressed it can interfere with your cycle I know even for me personally I use it as an indicator of my health. I think Lara Bryden has coined that phrase. It's your report card, your periods, your monthly report card on how you're going. And definitely, and that makes heaps of sense from a Chinese medicine point of view because you need blood and you need energy moving and all lots of stress, not having the right nutrition, like a whole bunch of things can really impact that and impact you just cycling really normally and your hormones. So yeah, absolutely. And I I, I talk about my experience because not that I think my experience was that terrible, really. It was just a very small part in my life. Like it was really about probably a year. And then the infertility struggles I see people go go through and uh, endometriosis cases I see in the clinic. I I mean, I think, yeah, people have a, a lot larger struggles than what I had, but I think it just shows a real gap and it shows, yeah, when people are vulnerable and also not being able to get the care or the support or the help that they need. And I think that's what put a bit of fire in my belly around like, no, women deserve to have a bit more like help around this sort of stuff. And it's really important. And we all have, well, most of us have periods and mm. <laughs> it's a big part of our life for a lot of our years on the planet so yeah and you absolutely deserve to be taken seriously when there's issues around it but I actually want to just talk to the history surrounding because you've mentioned this a few times and I may be wrong but am I right in thinking that the history surrounding Chinese medicine for Mm. women's health the thousands of years of knowledge really Mm. drew you to that area and can we talk a little bit around the history surrounding Chinese medicine for pregnancy and gynecology. Absolutely. And some of the, when we go through university studying Chinese medicine, some of the textbooks we still look at are like a a thousand, 2000 years old, and they still hold the test of time. Like they've still got these really valuable lessons. And obviously China had a, it was a huge population and they had a very strong literacy tradition. So they wrote everything down and they published it and it got handed down and refined and things went in and out of fashion. So now a lot of Chinese medicine practitioners really interested in the classics. But yeah, basically herbal medicine, it's first documented about 3,000 years ago, so 1,500 BC-ish. And that was like inscriptions on a tortoiseshell about birthing problems and the herbs to use. And then we fast forward to around 470 
BC where they started using more plants. Around 200 AD, you see about like 30 formulas produced just for gynecology purposes. So pretty incredible. Like that far back, they were using 30 different herbal medicine formulas. So more than one herb that were used for a range of different gynecological disorders, which is crazy. And then around sort of 600 AD, there's seven volumes on gynecological and obstetrics disorders, seven volumes of textbooks. And there's at that time over 280 gynecological syndromes that are addressed. So that's like the different categories of things that you'd, you'd address according to. So in Western medicine, that would be like a disease. It's a different categorization system with Chinese medicine. And then around sort of 960, by then there's like a 70 chapters on like postpartum disease, about 10 on infertility, 20 on menstrual diseases that are sort of circulating. And they had an empirical medical college as well around that time. It's about 960 AD and had about nine departments of which one was called the obstetrics and gynecologist gynecology department. So it was a real focus. Like it wasn't, it wasn't a sideline issue. It where there was like, it was, there was a dedicated literature team and doctors. And I also, I think I didn't mention, yeah, 200 AD is when they had what they called breast doctors and they were, so they were doctors and that's what they did. They did gynecology. So yeah, Chinese medicine has a very strong tradition in terms of gynecology and obstetrics. And so when we study it, we have like this, just this huge amount of information that's being sort of handed down. And I mean, you could never read all the books that have been published, but we do have a lot to draw from as like modern day Chinese medicine practitioners. And I'm very much in that sort of integrative space. So I really love clinical research and combining that with like also the classics and the Chinese medicine that we've been, that that's a different type of evidence, but combining the two in order to get the best outcomes that we can get for our patients it's amazing isn't it like when I think of when I think about the history of I guess the western medicine and how much of a medicalized event it became and torture devices once it started becoming more medicalized Mm -hmm. and away from the more midwives and women-centric birth yeah and it became more medicalized when I think about the torture devices that they start and the things that they started doing, it just, it seems like night and day. And also, if you look at that period of time in like Western medicine history, like there was a really strong tradition of what is like naturopathy today. So herbal medicine and things like that, which is of course changed, but it's got that traditional medicine, but Chinese medicine was pretty sophisticated. It was ahead of its time in terms of the world, in terms of what it, it's, it's medicine was. Yeah. Which I, is why I, the big reason I think has lived on today. Now you obviously work at the acupuncture pregnancy clinic or you're the managing director there. Yeah. And in terms of acupuncture specifically, I personally believe that there are four stages to the pregnancy process. <laughs> Let's call it. So you've got your conception, you've got your pregnancy, you've got the actual birth itself, and then the postnatal period. And this is quite a large question because I'm sure each section has its own unique therapy and way that you treat it. Yeah. But how do you see acupuncture helping with each of those stages? Yeah, sure. 
So preconception. So that's probably what we do the majority of. We see people through all four stages, but people need generally need the most care around the preconception stage if they've got fertility issues like specifically. So around that time, we're really looking at getting their cycle regular for for the female. We're trying to address any imbalances that might be manifesting hormonally. Also, often if people have any infertility or if they're trying to conceive and it just isn't happening, it's really super stressful. So that's where acupuncture can come really really in handy and be really helpful for anyone who's had acupuncture normally reports feeling really relaxed afterwards and can really help manage stress and cope, particularly people doing IVF who that emotional resilience is really tested undergoing IVF. But in terms of that sort of that preconception care, seeing people three, four months before they want to start trying is fantastic because then we're actually going to be able to impact either the sperm or the egg, whatever we're working on, and work on the quality of that, which of course there's so many different factors and we'd really be doing like an individual individual diagnosis with the patient to work out what is key. I love the individualization of it because I am all about individualization. That's like the core component of everything that I do in the pregnancy process, because I just don't believe that you can do a one size fits all approach to to anything to do with pregnancy or health or humans in general, because we're so different. Yeah. And that's the thing about, which is beautiful about Chinese medicine. It's all about you do the diagnosis and you see what's out of balance with the person. And then you try and address that balance. At the same same time, when we're working on fertility, there's some points we'd use quite commonly because they'll do things like they'll encourage blood flow to the ovaries, to the uterus. They'll help support estrogen production, say in the follicular phase or progesterone production in the luteal and then we're moving into sort of early pregnancy where we'd be supporting often people feeling really fatigued and like the energy levels are really low and so we're really helping support and prop up that energy and of course there's nausea so acupuncture can be really helpful to help reduce those symptoms of um, nausea in pregnancy which can of course not just be in the first trimester unfortunately and then over that time yeah just dealing with any niggles or things like constipation can happen people can have things like insomnia so any imbalance that you already have can be a bit exacerbated by a big fluctuation in hormones and things in those in that early pregnancy. Um, and then we, after the first 12 weeks, we'll just see people maybe once every three or four weeks if everything's just cruising along and they're not having any pain or anything like that. And then we'll move into like birth preparation for about 36 weeks. And that's where we'll do points to help the cervix get soft and ripe and really great for particularly first-time mums where often they're sometimes like spontaneous labours are, are less likely and often going past the due date or much further. So birth preparation is really helpful in terms of getting the baby also in the right position, getting the cervix soft and ripe and, yeah, helping the woman, of course, if she's got any back pain. <laughs> like we're just treating what we're meeting as well. It's not just doing the birth preparation but we're always incorporating what's going on. Again, if there's sort of sort of insomnia, sometimes that can be linked to hip pain and things like that. And so we're addressing all of these things around that birth preparation, getting the mum all juiced up and ready for labor and also trying to help really help with that pregnancy physiology that birth preparation yeah the 36 the 36 weeks there is so important I think when it comes to the birth prep because I feel a lot of 
a lot of women, when they start looking to acupuncture, if it's not something that they've been using frequently throughout their pregnancy, they might be getting closer to the due date or they're starting to go over the due date and they want to, they're furiously trying to like search for things that will help it along and they yeah. might go, but it might be, you know, they're already 40 weeks and they're like, I just need to do something to try and speed yeah. this up. But the 36 week is such a yeah. good yeah. key point there that if you want yeah. to help with your birth prep then 36 weeks is a good time come in at any time but the research suggests that coming in from 36 weeks is where you're going to get the best outcomes in terms of shorter labor times like a spontaneous labor and Mm. a more efficient labor and all of those good things that you want but we often get people who are coming in for induction acupuncture but the research around that is mixed i've definitely seen it clinically be really helpful but if we get a choice <laughs> and it can prepare then from 36 weeks is definitely the best yeah speaking of induction and yeah. I know I cut you off there in the pregnancy bit but childbirth yeah. how does acupuncture help in that in that little window around yeah so we'll do acupuncture pretty frequently when it's coming right up to their sort of due date or if they're going to be induced and again we're just uh, we'll start doing more heavy-handed points that simulate contractions and things if everything is ready so if the cervix is soft and right if the baby's in the right position if they're already getting all those pre things and also if a lot of our patients we see have started a family a bit later so they're a bit older which means often you that you're not allowed to really go much past 40 weeks even if it's your first baby and the majority of First babies are born at 41 weeks, so that sucks because it means you're likely to be induced. So we want to try and get it happening naturally as much as possible. And the hope is even if the acupuncture doesn't stimulate that spontaneous labour, that they're pretty close and they're just a little bit of oxytocin or whatever they have, but their body's a lot more ready to go. So that's when we start to incorporating things like we'll do electroacupuncture in the sacral sacral foramen so we'll do points that go on the through the sacral foramen and they actually talk to the nerves that wrap around the uterus and can simulate some contractions and other points that simulate contractions and things like that but we don't want to do this until the body's really ready because it can stimulate like some pre-labor and people can just be like up all night but it doesn't go anywhere and it doesn't go in and out of it so you really want to work with the woman with where she is at and we do get people coming in at 37 weeks just begging us please (laughs) but we really need to just work with where the body's at and just help augment that and if the body's ready the birth preparation acupuncture will help help as well so yeah we do do sort of induction acupuncture in in that way that's amazing and into the postnatal period how does postnatal acupuncture help with the whole repair side of things Sure. So with cesarean scar, that's what we see a lot of doing a technique called scar bridging, where if you had, if this was the scar, you would like, you do the needling, just say, oh, say that's my finger is the scar. You'll do the needling either side of the scar and the needles go under the scar in order to promote uh, better blood flow there and promote Remote healing and it's really effective for getting that scar looking fantastic and feeling really good because often there's some numbness or pain associated with the um, cesarean scar and also from a Chinese medicine perspective like you're cutting through meridians the energy lines 
through the uterus, as well as a cesarean, you're going through muscles, you're going through a whole bunch of things. So if we can get everything working really nicely around that scar, we're just going to imp hopefully improve all the function of that area, including hopefully impacting also if it's if there's any scar on the uterus as well. So we do that. We also use laser acupuncture for scar, which is really helpful in terms of scar healing. And then we'll treat people, we'll do a, a treatment called mother warming, where we'll do acupuncture after the woman has given birth a few weeks later. And this is to help just replenish her body because it's pretty exhausting birth <laughs> by all by all accounts. And it really does deplete the body. So we want to start juicing the mum back up again. So traditionally that's also using moxa, like mugwort to like warm the body as well. So a mother warming. And then if there's any issues, that's where we're really um, trying to help the woman as well. So things like supply or mastitis, retreat, that sort of thing. And then, of course, there's like like often women super busy, crazy like lives and then they get to and they have a baby and then they're exhausted. <laughs> and then there's things like postnatal depression, which is really see that all the time. So just helping people get back on their feet in terms of their energy levels. If yeah, if that's been really like rocked through the pregnancy. So from a Chinese medicine point of view, I guess it's important to note that the pregnancy actually comes from a reservoir of energy in your body. And this is like partly inherited. So you inherit your fertility, you inherit this reservoir of energy. It's like your battery pack that if you get sick or you don't get enough sleep or your nutrition's not very good, all of those things you start like sucking out from your battery pack and it, of course it starts depleting like the batch as the battery gets older <laughs> but your pregnancy really relies on that reservoir of energy so if you've been working really hard all your life or just not getting enough sleep or you've just been really stressed all these things are really going to impact that and so that's where I think Chinese medicine can play, play a role in juicing you back up um, whether it be when you're trying to conceive to help with your fertility because often that's what we're seeing that's like probably like the main pattern that we see where the that reservoir of energy like which in Chinese medicine we often refer to it to like the kidney energy is really low and so we're trying to like juice people back up <laughs> or if during your pregnancy if that's low then more likely that you're going to have a few more issues during your pregnancy like more fatigue or more this or more that because things go out of balance more easily when you don't have a big a nice big reservoir to help because it, it also helps balance everything out mm. so yeah postpartum that's also a big part of what we're what we're doing trying to build build everyone back up I love that I love the battery pack that it yeah. just it's gives such a big visual in my mind like I've got one of those kind of visual minds where when you say things I can totally see that in my mind so I love that now I do have one question around some of the things that you were just speaking to and these are things that I've never heard about before and that's laser acupuncture and electroacupuncture. Can you yeah. explain what those are to me and what how they're different oh. and how they might work? This is just like a personal interest thing because I've never yeah. heard of this before. Yeah. So electroacupuncture just stimulates the needles with a small electric electric current and makes the needles a, a, a lot more active it encourages a bit more blood flow to the area it also has an effect on atp and things like that so it we often use it in the clinic we use it a lot during an ivf cycle because it helps stimulate more blood flow and just sort of supercharges the needles so we do use it quite a bit where appropriate yeah we use it in induction and you, you often use you'd get it if you had musculoskeletal pain it's often really really helpful for that as well 
laser acupuncture is less like most acupuncturists would do electro. The laser acupuncture is like less known, I guess, and less popular. Jane Littleton, who's the founder of the Acupuncture Pregnancy Clinic, is a massive advocate. (laughs) And there's some really exciting research coming out around laser acupuncture. So what we use, it's a low-level light laser, which means it's just, it's light. It's not a hot laser. It's called a cold laser. So hot laser is like when you go and if you're getting laser hair removal or something like that or laser surgery, they're using a hot laser, they're killing cells. This isn't like that. So it doesn't have any like negative like radiation effects. It just, what it does is just light that excites the cells and it encourages them to produce more ATP and it helps with um, mitochondria. So they're like the, that's the battery pack of the, of the cell, which makes the cells work better. So we'll often use this sometimes we'll use it in IVF cycles for eggs and we'll also also use it in terms of like scar it's it's really good literature around like sort of scar and wound healing as well because it sort of has that effect has absolutely no impact in terms of what you feel like you don't feel anything it's not like yeah not like a hot laser because it's just light and so you need to use it at the right dose um, and all of those things but it's quite safe and there's like a lot of laser and also like light therapy that's coming in like the beauty world as well like the led that sort of thing so it's in that realm yeah amazing now you've spoken a little bit about ivf and I know that there is such a connection between the two worlds. Most women that I know that have gone through IVF, there's definitely been some type of acupuncture element to that. So when you look at it from an integrative approach, how does acupuncture complement a woman's IVF journey? Mm. Yeah, so we work a lot with IVF. Actually, my clinic in Alexandria, we're located with alongside IVF Australia in the Alexandria Specialist Day Hospital. So the a lot of what we see is IVF. So I I mean IVF and acupuncture has been around for quite a while. It got really popular around pre and post embryo transfer back in sort of 2002. There was some studies that were published around that. And that that research actually sparked Jane Littleton, the founder of the Acupuncture Pregnancy Clinic, to open her clinic, which was then called the Acupuncture IVF Support Clinic. We've changed our name because we now have a wider scope. But she um, originally opened in 2008 in response to that literature around it being really helpful in improving pregnancy rates. Since then, there's been more research done and it suggests that acupuncture and particularly actually there's a lot of research coming out around electroacupuncture being really helpful for women who are undergoing IVF in terms of physiological and also psychological outcomes. So improving egg yield, fertilization rates, pregnancy rates, live birth rates, all of those things, but it's a bit dose dependent. So having probably one or two might not make a massive difference in terms of getting better outcomes. But the more recent uh, research suggests if you have over four acupuncture sessions through your IVF cycle, it should improve your clinical pregnancy rates. And there's other research that suggests like larger dose, so having like nine or 12 sessions. So usually coming in a month or two before and that actually it really improves live birth rates like significantly, like 61% alongside things like Chinese herbs. That study was like a whole, whole system. So we're often doing not just acupuncture but herbal medicine as well, which can be hugely beneficial for people undergoing IVF. We've actually just published three new blogs on our website. If anyone wants to have a look at the research, there's people who love research and people who just don't want to hear about it. But I've just actually 
finished, I've presented quite a, quite a few conferences on the research around IVF acupuncture, but I've just finished uh, delivering a lecture for got the Integrative Chinese Medicine Conference coming up next week. So my online lecture I've finished delivering. So updated some of the research around IVF acupuncture. So that blog can be found on the Acupuncture Pregnancy Clinic website. There's quite a few blogs there, so <laughs> you can have a look. But we're big into sort of research because it really helps us what works and also be able to tell patients what we think will work. And then we started getting like that research I just told you about where there's like nine or 12 sessions. So then we started seeing patients like twice a week, which is quite a lot, the month before they had their IVF cycle and then during their IVF cycle. So they'd have about 12, 12 sessions. And before that, I was seeing patients until that came out in 2015, I was seeing patients once a week. So before that, and when that research came out and we started seeing people twice a week, it was such a game changer. Like the what we saw that how much people improved and how it just changed our clinical outcomes quite significantly. So while I love all the history of Chinese medicine, the research which is out there can really help inform your clinical practice to get really like just the best results for everyone. That research that you're just talking about sounds yeah. very, very interesting. Are yeah. you able, I mean, you've just talked a little bit about dosage, which yeah. I definitely am interested in. And it's funny because I feel like you can relate that almost to training with a coach as well, right? Well, yeah. <laughs> it's a difference between yeah. going and seeing well, a coach like, once a week versus twice totally. a week. It's, and it's like, like night and day. And it's like, a, it's like a type of medicine right so you take mm. one tablet and just expect it to like work it's sort of like well oh it you need to get a certain dose where you're going to get that therapeutic value out of it to give yourself the best chance mm. but that research that you were talking about yeah. are you able to talk a little bit more about that or talk about that in greater depth yeah sure I love like research. So like <laughs> anything that you'd like to tell me about that research would be amazing. <laughs> yeah. So the Hollander research, which was a uh, 2015 study, I said how it changed what we suggested that patients could do around IVF. So there's more than a thousand women whose results were analyzed and they'll split into two groups. One group who did what they call whole systems Chinese medicine. And whole systems was because it wasn't like a lot of research out there where it was a randomized control trial and they were everyone was given the same points and <laughs> or given the same thing. Instead, it was just up to the Chinese medicine practitioner to feel their pulse, look at their tongue, in, give them individual diagnosis and treat them as they would a Chinese medicine practitioner. So thus being like whole systems, give them things like diet, lifestyle advice, give them herbal medicine if they thought it was appropriate. So that was the whole systems. And in that, they'd have about, on average, I think it was like nine to 12 treatments the the patients would have. And so with those results, they found there was like a, I think 61.3% uh, live birth rate in the whole systems Chinese medicine group. And I think it was, it was done in the States where their IVF rates are a bit higher, but they just do things a little bit differently. So I think the n normal group was in the 40 something percent. I can't remember exactly in terms of their pregnancy rate. So it was actually a, a little bit higher than what it is in Australia. So, yeah, that research came out and it was like, yeah, a really big game changer in terms of us looking in terms of dose. At the same time, I'd been a part of, there was a big study done in um, a randomised control trial. So there were protocol points and things like that done through Western Sydney. And this was a big study. However, they only looked at doing three acupuncture sessions with the patient to see if it made a difference in terms of life birth outcomes 
And there was a little bit of contention around it because the placebo acupuncture was found to have like a bit of an effect. So it was like you're measuring something which was not exactly acupuncture, but it had some sort of effect with acupuncture. But anyway, the results of that trial were incredibly disappointing for the acupuncture community because it came out that there wasn't any difference doing three three sessions when they looked at live birth rates. But of course, there's clinical pregnancy rates, which is easier to get a better result if we're clinical pregnancy rate, because we know that there's going to be some drop off in terms of the take-home babies. So the Highlander research was reassuring. And the research that came out, I think that was 20. 17 from Western Sydney University they actually got the ethics approval for that I think in 2008 so and at that time that was what the research was looking at it was just looking at like pre and post embryo trans and by the time they completed the study it was outdated and we already knew that you actually needed more acupuncture than that to get a better result for women the most recent meta-analysis which came out in 2023 so earlier this year had a look at into things like fertilization rates live birth outcomes, clinical pregnancy rate, and they found that in all the studies where there was more than four acupuncture sessions performed, there was a significant increase in all of these, no matter what the control was. So whether it was a placebo or whatever the control was. And they found overall just doing acupuncture more than four sessions would improve things at around sort of 10% improvement. So that's the more recent research. And there's also been some research around doing pre and post embryo transfer acupuncture. We used to use these protocol points, which was the research, big research that came out in 2002 that everyone was excited about. And now we've found that those protocol points, it's more effective if you do individualized treatment. There's some research which came out, I think, last year in the States. Clinics similar to how it's set up in Alexandria, like they're alongside the IVF clinic. And so they did some research around that and their rates, their clinical pregnancy rates are really high. So that was another really, really good, I guess, example of like how research can really help transform how you do things in the clinic. So before we do a modified, it's called Polis, Polis Protocol. We've been using a modified one for years and years because the research suggested a, a modified one and more individualized one. And now even more individualized is probably the way to go. So that's, yeah, I think that's quite a bit on <laughs> <laughs> on the research side of things I love, uh, I love on, on herbal time. medicine as well so with the, you can also check out the one of the blogs we've got on is on the herbal medicine results there's quite a few meta-analyses around IVF and herbal medicine which are really encouraging really exciting amazing thank you for taking me through that I've always got I'm always interested in what the research is saying now right. given there's so many areas that acupuncture can help with and Chinese herbal medicine can help with what would maybe just be some of the main reasons people come to see you like you've mentioned the preconception being one of the main areas and but are there other areas that you people would come to see you with and how would you support them with those kind of specific issues yeah so often we're seeing people with really complex histories like Ashman's syndrome, a lot of painful periods, endometriosis, just really complex cases is a lot of what we will see. Undergoing fertility treatment, 
Yeah, we often will see people for a whole bunch of women's health conditions as well as trying to conceive naturally or trying to conceive through IVF or uh, trying to conceive some people through like donor eggs or donor sperm or donor embryos even. So a whole range of things. And then during their pregnancy, supporting them every step of the way. But again, that's a bit more individualized in terms of what's playing out for them, what's going on and what they might need help with. And then postpartum, yeah, helping them again with whatever comes up and helping them reduce, juice up, <laughs> reduce. Now, given your own journey and everything that, yeah. where do you feel the gaps in Western medicine when it comes to women's health and how do you see acupuncture and Chinese medicine filling those? Yeah, sure. I mean, I really think acupuncture and Chinese medicine has got a lot of value, but I feel like we're just part of the pie in terms of like integrative medicine. Like I have a lot of respect and I think there's a lot of value with things like nutrition and naturopathy and also like Western medicine. Like there's a lot it can offer that. And I think a lot of us have where one has a limitation, the other one has benefits and vice versa. So I think working holistically and integratively is really key for people who are looking at really improving their outcomes because I think they're going to get a lot out of that approach. In terms of gaps, I mean, I think recently we're really seeing the endometriosis really play out. And like, I think that's been simmering under the surface for a very long time. And it's so great that it's actually, there's getting a lot more it's a lot more awareness around uh, endometriosis and what people go through with endometriosis. I think similarly with PCOS and things like that, but I think with endometriosis, there's so much pain and also just so much like infertility. There's just so much that people go through who have endometriosis. And I think we're still really learning from a Western medicine, how to, how to best treat it. And like the treatments are still often novel. So, So I think from my experience also, working in a couple of trials around acupuncture for endometriosis. Well, one was acupuncture for dysmenorrhea, people who have endometriosis. Another one I was just a, working as a research assistant on another herbal medicine for endometriosis. But again, it made me really reaffirm how helpful it can be on like a larger scale, not the, more than just what I'm seeing in the clinic. And yeah, and see that there are like all these different avenues. It's really, I think, the hardest thing is everyone having enough resources, enough time and money to do it all. And that's a, and, and that's a, that's a really tough aspect about it. So I, th- I hope as like the research improves around acupuncture in that space, that there is more resources dedicated towards it from more of like government level. So it's more accessible to people because I realize it's like private clinics acupuncture costs money I've been involved in the past in like not-for-profit acupuncture community acupuncture and things like that because I really wish it was more accessible to everyone but yeah if you are in the position where you can access acupuncture and herbal medicine I think for those kind of conditions like things like PCOS and endometriosis can be amazing also just unexplained infertility. Like sometimes we go, oh, well, it makes sense to us. <laughs> and I think I think naturopaths and nutritionists have a real, a very similar experience when they see a patient who has unexplained infertility. Like it's sometimes like just looking at it from a different perspective, you can see what might be out, out of balance or what might be going on or where there's further investigation might be needed. Maybe looking at it just maybe just a bit more holistically as well. But yeah, I I think different perspectives can be really valuable if you're trying to work out what you're how to improve your health or improve your well-being or improve your fertility or pregnancy, whatever it might be. 
Mm, absolutely. I mean, I've known about acupuncture for a long time, but it hasn't been something that I've introduced into my well-being practices regularly until this year. And I have to tell you, I am hooked. I'm now advocating acupuncture to pretty much all of my clients from a physical perspective and a relaxation perspective. You really do feel so much better when you come away from Mm. the treatments, even even sleeping. And when it comes to pregnancy, like we know that, that a lack of sleep and insomnia has so many negative in, impacts pregnancy and pregnant women so badly. So even from that perspective, so I'm definitely pro acupuncture. But before we wrap up, I've got one last question for you. Oh. And that would be, what's the one thing that you wish all women knew before they had a baby? The one thing I wish people knew was how diet and lifestyle really impacts your fertility in the months before you start conceiving. So sperm and eggs take about three months from when they're like little immature sperm cells or egg cells to when they're like ovulated or ejaculated. And that whole time, everything you drink, everything you eat, your stress, your hormones, what's going on with your body is going to impact the health of that sperm and that egg. And it's not only going to impact your fertility, but it's going to impact without scaring everyone, the DNA and also like the future health of that baby. So I wish people knew a bit more about that. And just things like just cutting out drinking for both and both partners are equally, like it equally impacts with both partners. Like men aren't off the hook. Like if a man's drinking or like all those lifestyle factors that's going to influence his sperm, his DNA, and his contribution to that embryo, which is going to turn into a, hopefully into a baby. So I think awareness around that. And I think the other thing, and that you, you want to start at least three months before doing all those things, not just like, oh, I'm going to st- try and start this month. Like after I ovulate, I'll stop drinking. Or yeah, I think there's not quite enough awareness. Sometimes it's just talking to people out in the community. Sometimes like I, I get it sometimes go, wow, if you knew how much that impacts your fertility, like you would not be doing that. Like it's a massive impact, fourfold, fivefold for, yeah. And increases your miscarriage weight. No one wants a miscarriage. So diet and lifestyle factors, I wish everyone knew about basically basic nutrition as well. It's not just folate that you really need. There's a whole bunch of things. Talk to you, naturopath. It's not my area, but uh, talk to you, naturopath. We make sure people have really good prenatal supplements and the basic supplements. Yeah. So I think that's probably the biggest one. And I guess the second biggest one, which is a really touchy subject and I hate raising it because myself, like I'm 41, I didn't meet my partner until I was like 38 or something, 37. So I hate saying this but age is a really big factor so if you want to look like and sometimes I talk to people I remember a few years ago I had a I think it was a massage therapist and she was 44 and she was telling me I think I'm going to start trying to conceive next year and I just thought wow if you knew what the odds were you wouldn't be that like oh the odds are really hard like they get really hard and I'm not saying that to freak anyone out. If you want to have a baby, go for it. There's heaps of ways you can do it in your 40s. And like there's heaps of support you can get. And acupuncture, everything can really help you. And there's lots of options as well. Like there's donor eggs and things like that you can look at as well. If you want to make a family, make it happen. You can totally make it happen these days. Like I'm not trying to put anyone off. 
But if you've got an opportunity to, if you know who you who you're with, who you want to have babies with, but you're not ready yet, freeze some embryos, <laughs> freeze some eggs if you don't have a partner. But if you can get embryos, it's cheaper and it's more effective. But yeah, that'd be my top tips for people wanting to have a baby. And I don't want anyone to feel bad who is so often I'm seeing patients who like, you meet your partner or you meet your person or you're not ready until you're not ready till you're ready. And like, that's life. And there shouldn't be no guilt around that. And I'm not trying to make people feel worse or bad. But if you are in your, if you're like toying with the idea then, and you can take action and you're a bit younger, then do it if you can because you don't want to go through the heartache later you just it's an insurance policy that I think yeah not many people will regret Mm. it's interesting that you mentioned that three-month cycle and I would like to think that I'm quite well versed on pregnancy (laughs) given the amount of research that I've done and the amount of years that I've worked in this space for but I spoke to Elizabeth Mucci from Life on the Inside oh, the other yeah. day and yeah. she okay. told me about the three months. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I I did not know that. I was like, so you're telling me it. To, I'm like, how did I not know that? The female who ovulates, yeah. how yeah. did I not know that it takes, that, that the timeline is three months? Most people don't know. And you just think, oh, you just ovulate and it's just about that. And really in the lead up to ovulation is, especially if you're doing yeah, IVF and things like really important time. Mm. I loved what she was saying about the, you almost want to be leading a little bit more. Like you, it takes three months to create that egg. Yeah. But if you start detoxing three months yeah. before you start trying, what's going to happen is all those toxins are going to be dumped into yeah. that, that egg yeah, cycle. You so you that almost either. want to start yeah. the detox six months to really well, clear your system. Really, preconception care should really be like for the best outcome six months because at that three months, that's when everything's starting to grow. So you, you want you need a little bit of time to get everything in order, right? Like before like everything starts growing. So you need a little bit of lead time. Mm. So I absolutely agree with what she's saying. I guess trying to make people aware of that three month, I think is like a really good starting point. Often in our clinic, at least we're seeing patients who wanted to have a baby yesterday and they're in a hurry. And so putting it off too too long is, is something that is really challenging for them. So of course we'll just work with them with where they're up to, whatever they're doing, if they're doing a cycle now or they're planning to do one in a few months, doesn't matter. We'll support them wherever they're at. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Yeah. I really yeah. appreciate it. I've loved enjoyed chatting with you. I know I've loved I've, I've loved learning all about the laser, the electro acupuncture the battery pack how it helps with induction or all that type of thing so thank you so much I really feel like I've learned a lot today and I really appreciate your time because I know that thank you for having me and if you're hearing this message I want to say a huge thank you because it means that you've listened to this entire episode of course if you have any questions about the things that we covered in this episode or want to know more about me or my other projects, you can find me on YouTube and Instagram at The Pregnancy Process. For those currently in their conception or pregnancy journey, you can actually apply to join my complimentary but private community, The Preggy Training Crew. And you'll find my community application and social media links in the episode description. 
And of course, if you enjoyed this episode, I absolutely encourage you to share it with other women just like you. And I look forward to seeing you in the next episode.